Hello, Phil here. The podcast you're about to hear is of pretty ropey quality. First of all, the audio quality of this podcast is pretty bad. The reason for this, we had to use our backup recording as Paul's isolated track decided to pack up just as we were finished recording the podcast. Secondly, later in the podcast, you will also hear my cat howling outside the door. It's a wonderful cacophony of noise. So settle back and listen to the absolutely amazing grottiness of it all. Welcome back to the Hootsie Podcast with me, Phil. And out of the cellar, it's me, Paul. Yes, Paul is finally back. <laughs> um, is it, how long has it been? It's been four months nearly, isn't it, since you were last on? Uh, yeah, I got out for good behaviour, so yeah, four yeah, yeah, months. Yeah, exactly, yeah, out, out on parole. Um, you still got your ankle tag on, haven't you? I have, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah, I mean, blimey, you... you um, haven't been on there to talk about Power of the Doctor or, or anything, really, have you? You've, you've missed no, all that. Um, I, no, I've you've, missed all that. Var- various illnesses have kept me away, hasn't it? Yeah, yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, oh dear, oh dear. So we, we'll have to make up for lost time now. So um, well, now that Paul's back, um, well, we're going to be talking about some classic Doctor Who, and we're going to talk about Carnival of Monsters um, on this particular episode, and that's going to be the uh, our usual target novelization versus the televised version uh, comparison which is uh which we, we, we kind of enjoy and i think we, this wasn't the one we originally wanted to do was we, we were going to do the mutants weren't we um, yeah i think this was just a quicker story to uh to get through uh so uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on uh but first the news now obviously we've missed quite a bit of news um since we were both together on the podcast. We're not going to go back over everything. <laughs> Apparently I found out there's a new year. I don't know. <laughs> Funny that, isn't it? <laughs> Still, looking forward to Christmas. That's the main thing. Yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, we, we're going to skip over quite a few things because um, obviously you, it's been covered elsewhere and you've probably all read it about it and so on and so on anyway. But um, I think really just a couple of bits of casting news from uh, sort of series 14, which is sort of fairly recent. Uh, so first off, we have that Anita Dobson and Michelle Greenidge are, have been cast in series 14. Uh, now, you, you brought this one to my attention, Paul Dill, particularly Anita Dobson being cast. Yes. Yeah, or, or um, Mrs. Brian May, as she's now known, really. <laughs> I, I haven't seen her in anything for ages, actually, Anita Dobson. No, it's, yeah, I haven't, no. Oh, it's right. quite uh, it's good to see her back on the telly, actually. Uh, yeah, so obviously for a lot of people in the UK, famous for being um, Angie Watts and EastEnders. Uh, that's many, many years ago now. Um, but obviously she's sort of gone into theatre and so on. And made apparently made a sort of a big name for herself um, out there as well. And Michelle Greenidge, um, last seen, well, I last saw it in the uh, British Gervais show uh, Afterlife. Um, and then she was also in um, It's a Sin by Russell T. Davis, funnily enough. So there we yeah. are. Yeah. But um, I never saw It's a Sin, I've got to be honest. Did you watch it, Paul? No. Back in the day? No. 
No, me neither. No, no, no I haven't. Yeah, no, I haven't got around no, to it. No, <laughs> no, everyone, everyone lots of other stuff we normally I talk know, about exactly. that I haven't watched. I'm, so. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I sort of struggle to keep up with um, with with the, all the telly that's on at the moment. Everyone's saying you must watch this, you must watch that, and uh, yeah, I haven't got the time. We haven't got the time. Um, and some older sort of cult, slightly older cast news, really. Um, it's Gemma Redgrave will be returned as Kate Lethbridge Stewart, um, and then also. As an actor called now, I, I'm hope I'm gonna pronounce his name right. Actually, and uh, was it Anurin Barnard? Um, so I, I haven't seen him in anything. I don't know who he is actually. No, no, me neither. Apparently, he played um, the husband of um, Cilla Black in the biopic. I think that um, what was it Sheridan Smith was in. Yeah, yeah, she well, he played uh, Bobby Bobby Willis. So yeah, so I've got absolutely. Um, that's about the only thing. And I, I, yeah, I didn't really watch that either, to be honest. I just saw the like, first few minutes of the first episode, and that was it. But uh, so I don't know. Apparently, he's, um, I have announced his character's name, which I can't actually see on the screen here. Oh, actually, Roger App Gwilliam. So I've, what's the AP? Is it A App or AP? I don't. Mm, don't know. I don't know. I've never seen that before. That's um, hmm, okay. If anyone knows what it is, please write in. So there we are. So um, I think really the only other thing we wanted to talk about, because we haven't talked about this at all really um, on uh, – we haven't, Paul and I, on our, obviously on our last podcast, um, which features special guest Martin Haber, we briefly spoke about the um, sort of proposed or alleged spin-offs that are coming um, on Disney+. Plus. Now, we haven't spoke about Disney+, Plus here and the, the sort of the, their sort of involvement in Doctor Who moving forward. So no. what, what's your what's your take on it, Paul? I mean, you, I mean, you did say before we um, you start recording, you haven't sort of really looked into it too much. but No, um, I mean, to, to be honest, yeah, not really of any... <laughs> I haven't got any opinion on it because I've not read anything on it. Um, no, no. Um, obviously, they've got the distribution rights, uh, the worldwide distribution rights uh, for Doctor Who, but that's from Series 14 onwards. They haven't got... Um, anything prior to that as, as i understand it um now one thing i was sort of trying to sort of struggling to understand was the fact that are they funding doctor which everyone seems to say they are uh or part funding it i haven't seen anything to say that they are at all anyway all, all i've read is that they're distributing doctor who uh but then i also read something that ross t davis is saying that disney sent some notes uh, to him about changing the was it the opening of episode one or something? And he said, oh, "Of course, they were right, and and they refilmed it." Now, that suggests to me then that they are providing funding because if 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 they're making notes on what's going to be produced, they're putting money up for it. Yeah, it's, it's a typical Hollywood thing. We have notes, don't don't they? The sort of executive producers. Um, I mean, I suppose, I suppose it depends on how much they're paying for the distribution rights. Well, that's it. Um, we don't know. Um, and I think the other thing is, I, I personally see them handing on notes as a bit of a double-edged sword, because that could also be a bad thing as well, considering that they're what Disney try to do. They're very sort of on-brand, aren't they? They want to protect their brand yeah, all the time. And maybe some of the more... Um, how can I put it, sort of adult themes in Doctor Who that could be touched upon, they might 
start kicking back against. I'm, I'm just sort of putting it out there, really. I'm not, I've got, not, not saying this is fact mm. or anything like that. Yeah. Because oh. it's now part know. of the it's the Hollywood machine, and I'm very distrustful of the Hollywood machine. I've got to be perfectly honest. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just it's yeah. It's whether they're actually going to try and change it more for an American audience is more the worry than the. Well, I hope not. I hope not. I hope they do keep it as a, a sort of sort of British in spirit at least. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, if they are sort of funding Doctor Who now, it could open up more sort of locations for them to film in because you know where money's no object. Well, I say no object, but money's not so so pressing as it once was. Um, if they are indeed co-funding uh, Doctor Who, then they can go to more exotic locations. But then some of the location scenes or I've seen popping up on my Twitter timeline um, seems to suggest otherwise they're still filming it in Cardiff. Yeah. So, <laughs> and surrounding areas. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So, I mean, it's still going to be in... Um, and obviously, it's been filmed by Babel Productions. They've got the big sound stage there. Um, which all the interior stuff has been uh, been filmed on. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of rumours going around. They're going to be using the the same sort of film methods that they use on the Mandalorian. Uh, that, that that sort of that domed sort of green. It's not a green screen. I can't remember what the name for it. It's like a cyclorama thing that they use. Um, again, I think just people putting two and two together. It's now Disney. They can get their hands on all this stuff. Maybe not. I don't I just think needs, that just needs that. to be in the titles, doesn't it? Filmed in Cyclorama. Exactly. That's what it needs. That's what it needs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um, interesting oh, if, times. If only really. Jerry Anderson was still around. <laughs> <laughs> now there's someone you out to market a show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. One thing that has um, has struck me that we're sort of nearly you know, a year away, more or less, till we see new Doctor Who content. And there's been more coming out of the production offices than the, the entire run of Chris Chibnall, which which is really strange. Yeah, isn't it? I, I just find that really bizarre. Oh, I like, don't know. It's just yeah. But, the, but I mean, that, Russell but the, T. Davis has always been the talking about people who like to market who can market there. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He if, he does know if, how to do that. I was going to say if ever there was the baton being passed. It, <laughs> <laughs> it's to him, isn't it? Really, it is really. Um, I mean, to be, I mean, back in the day, I mean, J and T was the same. He knew how to market, he knew how to generate publicity. Um, I can understand the the secretive nature to a certain degree of of, of Chris Chibnall because he didn't want to spoil anything for people, which which was fine. But then at the same time, I think it also you know sort of throw us a nugget here now and again, you know, yeah. so just keep the interest going. Because um, I. I I personally felt that the interest in Doctor Who, has, it has, okay, you could say it's that's the case of any long-running TV series, um, that the, the interest has dropped, really. And I think now it's starting to it's starting to pick up traction again. I think the trick now is, is to keep that traction going. Yeah. You've got a bloody long wait until we see new Doctor Who on the screens again. So he's got to keep drip-feeding all the time, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. It's um, it's interesting though. It is interesting. At least we're getting sort of like you know, sort of casting news for the next series. And he's already said, you know, specials and uh, we'll see Shooty Gatter in the Christmas special. So or, or whether it's gonna, it's Christmas or New Year, whenever it's gonna be aired. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I, do you know one thing I'm waiting to come out of all this though, Paul? Mm. It's back on Saturday nights. Not sure it ever it ever will be just just because of the the whole thing. Depends when it's it, but if it's if it's depends when it's it's actually there as a series, doesn't it? Because Strictly just dominates Saturday night to such an extent. It does now. That it's difficult um, to know where you place it in the the running order on know, a Saturday. Well, that, well, it always used to... Oh, was it on before Strictly, wasn't it? It started, but the... I'm trying to remember, because I mean, it's been some time since it's been on Saturday night, hasn't it? So I'm trying to remember what, what the... What the pecking orders on a Saturday night. The Peter Capaldi stuff then started going out after, didn't it? So it was going out about 8, 8.30. Which is really what sort of killed it. Yeah. To be honest. Um, and that's what I say, and that's the problem. Well, I think well, it, well, should be on bef- it should be on before, because, I mean, to be honest... It should be on after Grandstand. It should be. <laughs> Basil Brush first. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, no, that's the thing. I think it, I think it should be more of uh, um, that sort of family time, not seven o'clock of an evening. I, 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 I think it's the wrong time to be honest. I, I really, I really do. I, do, I just think it should be on a bit earlier. If you want to get that family audience, yeah, I, I personally feel it should be on, on, on earlier and stop moving it around in the church. I'll, I'll go. We're, we are going way, way into the future and, and sort of nah, you know, surmising yeah. everything. But, but I think I think that's what kind of hurt doctor he kept being moved around in the schedules there was no set time particularly in the capaldi era, um, era. it just get, it depended how long strictly went on for yeah that particular and, that, and that's the problem and i suspect yeah. that's actually why the compromise of sunday night was accepted because it actually gave a more close time to to being going out every at the same time every week you know yeah, maybe, maybe. I think you're. Um, there is something in it. I mean, obviously the the results. And it's, like, and it's either that, or you've got the mid season pause for Eurovision as well. <laughs> I don't know if it's on a Saturday night. Well, that's the other thing. That's, I think that's another thing that sort of hurts it being in the in the spring as well. To be honest, um, there's always sort of other other things. If any sporting um, events, it will just get sort of knocked back really. And I think yeah. that's that's the problem, or as you say, or, or things like Eurovision, but. I was going to say, you know, the winter, we just had a World Cup in the winter, so anything's bloody possible on it. So. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. Know. It, it just seems to me, um, Sunday never seemed to be, it, it didn't fit for me. It really did. It's just a personal choice. I just prefer seeing it on, on a Saturday. It's, it's. Um, I know I'm, I'm looking back in with rose-tinted spectacles here to the, you know, those glory days of Saturday nights with Doctor Who on. Um, but as you say, it, it's, Strictly now is the that's the that's the big winner for him, isn't it? Yeah, unfortunately. But I must admit, I mean, I do watch Strictly, um, but I, they are really stretching the format a little bit now. We're trying to fill the time, and I think because there is nothing else they've got to put on a Saturday night now. But I think they know people sit down and watch it, no matter what, yeah. how much they stretch the format. And it is, I mean, I'm not, you know, it's sort of like, you know, it's getting to the point of being almost like Dot 2 Confidential ended up. You know, you know, when you have like Arthur Darvo and Karen Gill and go motor racing for the day or whatever it was. Yeah. And it's always got to that point with Strictly now as well. You know, what fun things they the, the, the celebrity couples have got up to during the week. I don't care. It's a dancing competition. <laughs> so. 
Oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, so that's uh, that's the thing. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's just if he was still alive, he'd want Terry Wogan <laughs> to host <laughs> it as well, wouldn't he? I'll tell you what though, Paul. Um, they've been showing Going come the, dancing yeah, on BBC Four with Terry Wogan <laughs> with Ray Moore doing the commentating. So. <laughs> Yeah, and, it, and it's nothing like Strictly, is it? No, it's not. And it, well, A, there's no celebrities, and it is just a pure dancing competition. Yeah. That's all it is, really. Um, very old-fashioned. Yeah. It's, it's proper ballroom, is it? It's got big ball gowns and, and top hat, and not top hat, but the sort of spats and tails and things like that. And Oh, dear, oh, dear. It's, it's quite funny watching it, to be honest with you. It really is. But, Christ, we sound like Starter and Waldorf again at the Muppets, don't we? <laughs> it's four oh. months, not 40 years I've been away. <laughs> oh, God. No, it's um, no, it just, it just, I think it's just my, my, my personal choice of where, when yeah. I like to see Doctor Who on. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to stop me watching it. It's not going to be, you know, oh, it's on Sunday nights. I'm not going to watch it. Oh, you know, it's, uh, it's just, that's just daft if you're going to do that. It's, yeah. uh, yeah, it's just when it's on, we'll watch it. We're just, we're just, I think we're just glad there's still Doctor Who on the on the television. Yeah, and uh, the only other thing though, Paul, um, one thing we haven't discussed, it's going to be eight episodes per series now. Yeah, um, I don't mind that to be honest. No, because um, the tendency to have the filler episodes or whatever. If they're eight good episodes, then that's fine. Yeah, and I think it's also another way because RTDs also come now out and said now there's going to be no gap years now. This is you know, and I think that that's the that's the compromise, isn't it? Doing eight episodes, yeah, because I think doing the thirteen was a real struggle to do it each year, and it was really tiring um, for the whole production team. So I think that that's the compromise. And um, whether it also that. then gives the people in it at time during the year to do other things, which makes mm. them less likely to to walk away after a yeah, short get, period. Mm, get the fatigue that can set in yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, but I'm all for it. When they're doing 13 episodes plus a Christmas special, that's basically a full year's work. It is, yeah. And with little to no downtime. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for it, to be honest. I know that it's sort of, you know, there's going to be people out there who's going to hate that, but it is what it is. Yeah. And if it means, you know, I mean, the same people who can, you know, complain that, you know, whatever, you know, the episode length or, and then they'll complain that, oh, well, there's another gap here. Well, it's because you wanted extra episodes that, you know, it's, it's the compromise, isn't it? Yeah. So it's either, you know, eight episodes of Doctor Who or 13 episodes or 14, if you count a Christmas one, and then you lose it for another year again, which isn't yeah. really keeping a show, which running, the BBC. Yeah, yeah well, not just say running, but keeping a flagship show as the BBC keeps saying that Doctor Who is in the public eye. Yeah, and I don't think it will pick up like it did in sort of you know from about you know ten or so years ago, or longer than that now actually, isn't it? Because we <laughs> it was ten years ago it was the fiftieth anniversary for God's sake. You know, it's longer ago than that. So I don't think we'll reach those, those, those sort of um, that sort of excitement again. But may, maybe it will when David Tennant airs. I think that will probably. Uh, more out of curiosity, more than anything else, is why is he back and why is what they're going to do with Catherine Tate? Yeah, what is going on here? What is yeah. going on, precisely. Precisely. So it's uh, interesting, interesting. But anyway, 
And is there anything else you we've we've missed, Paul, since you've been away? I think I think that's sort of, we did go over everything, did we? You just wanted to yeah. Uh, yeah. cover some, no, more of the that's, salient that's points, but we've, but we've gone way off topic Enough. about yeah. Terry Wogan and Ray yeah, Moore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's what I wanted to cover, and I'm glad we've done that. <laughs> yeah, sod Doctor Who. We just got to have old Radio Two DJs. <laughs> We'll be getting on. See, if we carry on like this, we'll be on to the Monday movie quiz and we, we don't really need to go down that road. Well, that looks familiar with Dennis <laughs> Norton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, folks. So, um, yeah, that's it for another episode. That, that is, uh, that's all we have to talk about for the news. So kind of next, we're going to be talking about Carnival of Monsters. So for another episode then, that was the news. everybody it's time to talk about carnival of monsters well 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 we're getting a crowd better start the pitch here there's no point in wasting any time roll up roll up and see the monster show roll up and see the monster show a carnival of monsters all living in their natural habitat wild in this little box of mine a miracle of intergalactic technology roll up roll up roll so, those allurements. The male is called Vorg, it seems. The female, Schirner. Ridiculous names. This story uh, was first broadcast on the 27th of January to the 17th of February 1973. Um, was written by the great Robert Holmes. And the target novelisation... Uh, was released in January 1977 and was written by Terence Dix. And uh, it's my turn to begin, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it, it is. is. We're, we're easing Paul back in gently. <laughs> Rather than let him kick off with his uh, with, the, with the chat here. Um, well, I, I just want to say I absolutely bloody love this story. I always have done. Yeah. I, it, 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 it's a clever idea. It is. I, I really like it. Um, I think I've first saw this when it was part of the Five Faces of Doctor Who. Yeah, uh, I was, that, was yeah it, I'd have been the same, yeah. Yeah, it was in 1981 that well, that would have been, actually. So and it was actually shown um, on four consecutive nights, funnily enough. Um, it's almost like a sort of uh, event television, to be honest. But um, yeah, now I've, I've always liked it. Um, and to me, it's probably the most... In a strange way, the most 1970s or early 1970s Doctor Who story there is, and I think is that's down to the um, the Vaughan and Scherner costumes for yeah. me. That did you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's all like it's all those great big sort of um, um, polo fruits <laughs> stuck. Yeah, <laughs> the lapels and everything. Did you, did you see? And the big um, and the <laughs> and they are big lapels as well, actually. So <laughs> yeah, it, it just screams 1970s to me. Um, and I, I absolutely love it. I absolutely, I love it. I love the, I love the characters. I love the dialogue. Um, I think the drashigs are a, a, a damn good idea. I think the miniscope as well is a damn good idea. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I mean. I think that was just such a, a good. And I'm trying to think. Obviously, I can't now from the point of view of watching it for the first time and the reveal being that it's a miniscope, mm. which I suspect has lost some of its value in sense but it is still a good idea i mean mainly because you just keep that's that's one of the most 
played clips from the third Doctor's era, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. What do you mean with the hand cone and picking up the TARDIS? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, that this is sort of relies heavily on on CSO at that point. But the bit when he's trying to fix it, like yeah, it was like a great big spear coming down. But and obviously that's CSO as well. But that looks really good. You can't see the um, the CSO outline. Yeah. On the tool coming down, um, so it's it's very well uh, sort of put together that bit, you know. And I know Barry Letts loved a bit of CSO, and he and he's on his time in Doctor Who, but so I I think it it worked for the most part. It, it worked really well. Um, yeah. So what about the actual the the story though? Because obviously, it's it really sort of kicks off with again. It's just the first mention of Metabolis Three from the Doctor. Um. Yeah, I, I think so. I think I'm it trying. is actually sort of one of his many attempts to get a Metabolis 3, and obviously they end up inside the miniscope on board the SS Bernice as well um, in the Indian Ocean, which was um, a good idea. And what, what I'd like to bail. <laughs> I just like when I've read up about this afterwards. Yeah, go. But the, the River Medway was, was, was the Indian Ocean. Yes, it was, wasn't it? They found a ship on the River Medway. <laughs> Oh, the glamour. <laughs> oh, the tropical heat of Kent. <laughs> oh, God. Well, the thing is, that it works. It's only, yeah. if you, it's only if you look at the oh, the size of the ship, you can tell they're not moving. That's the <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing. Um, no, I, I like the idea. I like the, I like the mystery. Um, I like the fact that, that, that it, it keeps resetting itself as well. So after sort of the Doctor and Joe get captured or found on board, then it just resets them out to, to um, the character just having to turn around the deck again. Yeah. And they keep being caught in this little little performance loop for people watching the miniscope, which I think is, is a um, a great idea. I really do. I think I think it's, it's marvellous. But but then you sort of... It, it cuts back to Vorg and, Sh- and, and, and Scherner. Um, and obviously you've got the... Um, but our our three, I said, put the three main characters on on Inter Minor, Calic, Orum, and, and Pletrak, uh, as well. Now, I I think they're a great trio of characters. Yeah, I I know. I'm, I found now my, I'm watching it and thinking I'm I'm developing that hairline. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already there, mate. <laughs> I'm already there with the, the Nick Miller look. <laughs> no, um. <laughs> No, I, th- I think they're, they're they're fantastic characters, and it's it's extremely well written as well. And it's that typical Robert Holmes. Well, it's not a double act in this case, is it? It's a it's, it's a Robert Holmes trio, yeah, of characters. And in the Terence Dix doesn't really change their characterization much in the in the novelization either, does he? I mean, no. I mean, I I, I think talking about. Novelization. If we did novelization to the TV, this would be a quite and where the differences are. This would be quite a short bit of podcast because it is a very straight script to novelization by Terence Dix. This one, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, I think there are obviously some differences here, uh, which obviously things like. the never seen President Zarb in in the novelization is Calic's brother. Yeah. Which gives it a little bit more of um a reason for 
sort of Kalit wanting to take control of of you know it's sort of like the and it goes into more about the distrust of uh sort of aliens and and the reasons why that the they didn't let aliens in because of the the, the plague previously yeah. and he sees his brother as too lenient now um and and actually the fact that the two different from the TV you'd think there was actually two different life forms between mm. the workers and the the rulers, so to speak. Mm, yeah. But actually the book says it's just basically how they evolved from the same people. Yeah. Yeah, the functionaries that they're called, they're sort yeah. of squatter, aren't they, really, more than yeah. sort of got like that sort of flat nose and or featureless face, really, isn't it? But just due to, to work and diet, they've evolved in a different way to each other. Yeah. Which, and the was, whole thing, which the whole... is not really mentioned in the... No, it's not. The I, TV. Mean, I mean, the whole thing about um, they're doing this, or President Zoll's doing this to stop the functionaries from sort of rebelling, just sort of keeping them more occupied and sort of let, sort of less having the, the whips at their back all the time has given sort of a bit more to their lives, as it were. Yeah. This way he's opened the borders. And the description at the beginning of the space pool, um, obviously you can do that in the book, which obviously they couldn't do on a BBC budget, is that the space pool is teeming with people. Yeah, it's a, it's a throng of people, which they obviously on the TV version you just got some sort of silver silver boxes coming down off off of a off of a off a sort of a, the side of a spaceship. A few functionaries, then you get the um, our three tell, main characters well, coming. Well, so, wherever that ship came from, they're really good wrapping those people. <laughs> they are, aren't they? It's very, very... <laughs> Again. It was all that silver they, wrapping of the very seventies. They ticked that this is a gift on Amazon, didn't they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. So I think it was. Um, yeah. So I, I did like that, and the whole thing. I don't. I come in the book. Did uh, Volg and Scherner come down the chute in the book? No, I don't think so. I think they they came off and was. And came to collect there. Yeah, because in the, the book their their they're, they're costumes are different. They're just sort of dressed in. Now what, it's actually quite interesting what Terence Dix wrote. They're just in sort of tatty gold costumes. Yeah, so obviously this sort of it's all frayed and just looking a bit sorry for themselves, uh, which which I quite like actually. But uh, but yeah, yeah I mean, they, I, they, they they was particularly down on their luck, which is why they're there in the first place. Precisely. So I think that that. In the book, that got that across a bit more, which you never really got yeah. um, in the in the televised version because it, once the spacesuits come off, they're in their their finery, aren't they? Yeah, that very sort of glam rock finery. <laughs> that actually, um, but yeah, no, I, I do like it, and I I, I love the the distrust from Kalek Orm and particularly Pletrak as well. He's probably one of the most nervous of characters I've ever. <laughs> I've ever seen on Doctor Who, absolutely yeah. pet- petrified of um, aliens and, and disease and, and and things like that. Um, but I do like the the whole. They, none of them can make a decision on their own. It's got to be it's a tribunal. That, that any decisions got to be voted upon. Um, one of them is always a little lackey, and that's Orem yeah. in this case, isn't he? So um, we just go along with whoever's sort of. A popular vote, as it were. Um, but do you know what? There's one thing that I, I picked up in, in, in the book, 
which sums up, I think it was the doctor was, was thinking this in the book, actually. He says, like authoritarians, they would harass and bully anyone who seemed weaker than them. Yeah. And I just thought, well, these three here, it just rem- reminds you of like our, our bloody government at the moment. I was going to say, <laughs> woke Doctor Who, what's going on? It is, isn't it? Well, don't you think? I mean, Calix like Dominic Cummins, <laughs> uh, isn't he? I mean, Oram is like Gove, who will just like, <laughs> it would just flip flop one thing to the other to, to make himself, you know, it would just pick the winning side, as it were. I'm trying to think who Pletrak could be like. It's not really Johnson, is he? No. I don't know. I'm trying to think out of all the Tories, who, who would he be? Probably, I those probably more, probably more like Sunak. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem to really want to offer an opinion. <laughs> no, exactly. Sits on the fence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's happy to go by what the other two say. We'll back end. down on yeah. his policies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, was when I was watching it, I, I just thought, mm, this this, uh, this is very familiar. <laughs> oh, and, they've got the, and they've all got the attitude of the Home Secretary. Let's put them on, let's put them on a freighter and fly them somewhere. <laughs> Well, yeah, there was that, um, but also the thing with with, um, with 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 Calic as well. It was no sort of we're not going to make the workers happy. You will do as you're told. Yeah. And what it came across in the book is if what they needed was another war. Yeah. To make them make them popular again and 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 show and and it was yeah that this is this is what politicians do when their backs yeah. against the under particularly well, it just sort of shows you that nothing's really changes doesn't it no exactly exactly this is what they do you know if, if their chips are down um yeah get involved in a little war somewhere and get the public behind you yeah yeah it's exactly what happens but uh no i know I, yeah, I we, like we, need, we need a common enemy the drastics weren't it to to unite behind to everyone to unite behind yeah now the drashigs. Um, I I've never figured out why they've never been used again in Doctor Who because I I I think they're quite a unique monster. Yeah. I like I love the way they're introduced um, on on the on the televised version. It's particularly eerie. All you hear is like the, the noise in the background, and it is, it's quite a a unique sound effect they come up with for that as well, which apparently is screeching tires in reverse they just reverse the sound yeah to get and obviously sort of treat it a bit more but that that's the that's the form the base of, of of the sound but it's a very unique sound for a monster um the book for description of them is rather disappointing i found because they're just sort of like giant lizards really yeah but i like the fact in the um the televised version there's sort of like sort of like a snake with a like a dragon's head, and like and I like the eyes on the stalks as well. It's it's a I think it's a really really interesting. It's it's interesting a good design. idea that's realised about as well as it can be for that. Be interesting that to see what you do with a how what a CGI version of them would look like. Yeah, but I, I just think I'm obviously they've been used in 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 big finish, but I I really like the drashes. I think I think it's a really good thing, and I like the the, the threat that they. They pose all the way through this once yeah. they were once they were shown. Oh, the, the only thing that did make me laugh on this is the fact that we get the story about the the battle cruiser that lands with the latest armaments and forty yes. men and all this, and all that's left is a little bit of the engine and whatever. 
And then later on, the people on the on the ship fight them off with two rifles and an old machine gun. And an old Tommy gun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then at the end on the, on Interminer, you've got Vogt Hells and back with the Eradicator. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. But yeah, there are some sort of things that don't sort of quite, quite sort of add up. Now, there's one thing in particular when the Doctor says, when they're on the SS Bernice and then he, he figures out where they are and what's, then he begins to sort of smell a rat because the SS Bernice disappeared. Was it in 1923 or whenever it was? Yeah. Um, and obviously when he puts things right, he's changed history. Yeah. Because he puts the ship back, so it's no longer a lost lost at sea thing. Um, yeah, because Joe says to him, wouldn't that? Book. Yeah. Be, doesn't that cause a problem? Won't that cause a problem? Won't that change history? Oh, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's no, there's the sort of causality <laughs> no. in the, with Doctor Who in those days, was there? No, it really wasn't. No, he just uh, had, yeah, he couldn't. He, yeah, you suspect if this story is done now, that there's nothing. He, yeah, so there's nothing he can do for them. Yeah, without changing history again. Yeah, so yeah, that's only thought. I suppose the really is the people that took them from the Indian Ocean in the first place to put in the miniscope changed history. So he's only actually putting it back as it should be. It could be, it could be, but it's just the way he, he, he puts it, yeah, um, is that oh yeah, it's well known that the SS Bernice was lost at sea. It's yeah, it's, it's one of the great, one of the great mysteries. Yeah, yeah, that's the only thing. But and now it's like, like yeah, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah, we can no. put them back. <laughs> yeah, just put it back. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But uh, no, I mean, that's 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 fine. I mean, it's just a silly little thing, really. Um, I love the bits. So I love the bits on board the ship. I like the fact it keeps going around in a, in a loop as well. Um, I, I like all the characters on the ship, especially the, the major daily character who just says, well, let's have another drink and have a think about it. And yeah, <laughs> which I love. Um, I think <laughs> just the idea of let's have another drink. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. More to the point. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I actually, what was interesting was this is I think I had the same, Mixture of dis- bit of disappointment when I first saw this all those years ago is the fact that we just didn't really get any Cybermen. They was te- we was teased with them. Yeah, I mean, this was Pertwee's only exposure to Cybermen up until the up until the Five Doctors, really, wasn't it? Yeah. So, which is a, a shame. But there was like Simon Ogrons and and yeah, there be all sorts of stuff trapped in yeah. there. And um, we just yeah, we never got, we never even got those. Uh, that was out, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, but no, I suppose we just teased with them, and we then were, we were. <laughs> back then. But, but I suppose that they caught up with a new monster, the Drashigs, which, which, um, yeah. which had sort of stuck in the in the consciousness. Certainly, of Doctor Who fans, anyone. I'm not going to say the public consciousness, but the sort of the consciousness of, of Who fans. Which, um, yeah, I, I just like them. I, I just really like them. But yeah, I, I think the the whole thing. It, it's not the, your typical Pertwee story where it's sort of, how can I put it? A lot of Pertwee stories are sort of like they, they get captured, they escape, get captured again, they escape, they get captured again, don't they? Particularly things like Frontier in Space. Yeah. Which a story I like, but it's very repetitive when it comes to escape and capture um, hmm. scenarios. Yeah, that, that, that is probably the ultimate one, isn't it? Yeah, It is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but I think, obviously, there is in this as well, but the way it's done is good because it just keeps... 
the people who captured forget they've captured. Yeah, they just go back to, to where they it's, were. It's to highlight the resetting, isn't it? Exactly. So I think that's that's why I really that's why I, I don't mind the old escape and, and capture thing in this. And obviously the doctor gets out the miniscope, but the media has to get back into the miniscope again. Um, which is which is fine. I think it's the only, I think it's the only way he could he could really get Joe out, really, isn't it? Yeah. And on, to, well, yeah. And to reset or, everything properly. And reset everything, yeah. Or couldn't he have just um dematerial materialised back inside the miniscope and then took her back out again? But he needed the TARDIS to power the miniscope, didn't he? That's true, he did. That's right. Yeah, because though the... Um, was it, it was the, failing, wasn't it? Yeah, so was it Pletch Records sort of tried to yeah. destroy it, hadn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the, the TARDIS was the only thing actually keeping everything That's it, well remembered. Running. Well remembered. But, uh, no, I, I think it's really... I, I, I like that. Um, and to be honest, it's it's quite a good resolution, actually, because the... The only one he doesn't sort of see what happens to his aura, he just sort of disappears, doesn't he? I suppose he just runs off. I mean, Kallet gets his his comeuppance um, yeah. at the at the end. Uh, Pletrak is just the same as he was at the beginning of the story. He's learnt nothing really, has he? So, no. um, but then it's I I just love those scenes with the three of them. I love reading the, the, the their dialogue in the book. Uh, I loved the the way it was put together on the screen as well. There's the, the close shots of the three of them talking very closely to each other. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't overacted either, which that kind of thing, it could be very easy to do because like Peter Halliday as, 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 as Pletrak, I think he captures that nervous official or I could have put it, someone in charge who's in way, in way over his head and is not supported by anybody. I think he plays that rather well. Yeah. Um, well, Michael Wish is Michael Wish. I don't think I've seen him do anything bad in Doctor Who, to be honest with you. And I think he plays that part extremely well without going into sort of like sort of snarly whiplash villainy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of, he, he, he sort of kind of underplays it to a certain degree. Yeah, no, totally. And it's, it, it is a bit of a, if you like, who's who of supporting Doctor Who character, but the actors, isn't it, really? Well, it is this. real. I mean, yeah, I mean, Ian Marta, the, the first appearance of Ian Marta in Doctor Who, I think it's yeah. his first appearance as, as John Andrews. Um, I thought he was very good. You know, I think he's um, different to Harry Sullivan. Yeah. He's, you know, it's another naval officer he's playing, but a completely different character, the way he plays it, um, which I, I I think, yeah, again, I, I've always liked Ian Marta in things. I, I, I mean, funnily enough, he's in, um, as we recall, he's on... He's on uh, this week's Crown Court, actually. Ah, right. Ian Marta, yes. Uh, so, <laughs> playing a police constable. Um, and again, playing it, it's not anything like Harry Sullivan or, or Lieutenant John Andrews huh. in this story. Um, you know, so it's just good to see him doing something different. I would say, if you ever get tiny with the technology, you, you will be, you two will be coming up with the Crown Court podcast. Oh, <laughs> will now. Certainly will now. But, uh, Oh, God, I'll tell you, the faces in Crown Court, it's unbelievable. But anyway, um, Tony's not here. We should have Tony here to talk about Crown Court. Um, I think the other, the, the big surprise for me in this was Leslie Dwyer. Yeah. Because at that, when I first saw this in, was it 1981, I only renew him from um, Heidi High. Yeah. That's Mr. Partridge. And I didn't even know when I saw this that before that he was in some sort of, Big British films, 
back in the day. I mean, things like in which we serve. Yeah, no, I looked. Yeah, I looked back at that and was just thinking. Looked at his CV and it was quite extensive and stuff that you actually. Oh, yeah, actually, I did. I didn't know him in that. You know. Yeah. As well, you could actually remember his characters in in quite a few. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, th- I think he's. Um, yeah, so it was. It just seems to be doing something different as well. He's got that awful outfit on and then that toupee. <laughs> yeah. As well, but I think. Well, it's actually yeah, from just the point of view of the probably. As you say, when we sort of think of him, it's 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 highly high, which is the the most obviously curmudgeon character you can think to coming to this, where he's all the big showman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the um, the, well, I think I wrote down a glam rock carney, yeah, really, which is which is basically what he is. Um, I also like the uh, Cheryl Hall was a Scherner. Yeah. As well, actually, she sort of undercuts all of Vaughn's well bullshit, really, doesn't she? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, she always tells people what's really going on, and she seems to be the she seems to be the real, um, the, the common sense of the outfit. Well, and slight, yeah, and his conscience, really. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, there's one thing on the the documentary on this on on the um, um, on the Blu-ray. It says she she's in the final shot. Of the, of of the uh, of the story where she when she sees the TARDIS um dematerializing, and she just yeah. um, sort of gives a little little sort of grin, and that and that's the last shot of the thing. So she says she was quite um, quite pleased that, that that it was her doing it. I mean, actually looking up her as well because you think, oh yeah, I know, I know her, but her hers is definitely another one of these CVs of every British TV program. Wasn't she in Citizen Smith? Yeah, she played the his girlfriend. That's right. I thought I, I try to remember without looking it up where I'd seen her before. Of course, yes, Citizen. Just sort of just suddenly came to me then. But was she in Coronation Street? Um, oh, I don't know about Coronation. She was in Z Cars. Z Cars. She was in Z Cars, and she was in the Bill. Oh, everyone! The, the Bill's like Crown Court. Every actor's been in the Bill yeah. at some point. But it was just, yeah, it was just the fact of. You know the fact that she went. You sort of most of she was, she was in an episode of Inspector Morse, The Gentle Touch. It's all like almost like a who's like every every cop show produced as well. She's been in it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, Tinu Evans, uh, uh, who played Major Daly, I mean, he's been in loads of different things as well, hasn't he? Um, yeah, another one of those sort of sort of British character actors that. It just sort of popped up in God knows how many, um, how many things. I mean, God, so I'm looking through here. He was also had regular appearances in Zed Cars as well. Paul Temple, Random Hotkirk, Deceased, The Avengers, The Saint, um, Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, um, as well with with Jeremy Brett. Yes, Minister. He was in Coronation Street, Rumpole the Bailey, Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin. I mean, blimey. You do sometimes when you look through, you think there's only about 20 actors <laughs> through <laughs> the whole of the 70s. Was. I think there was. <laughs> oh, dear. No, it's always good. I, I, I love what, that's why, I mean, it, it's that, that nostalgia thing really, isn't it? That's why I love watching these old shows because you sort of like, oh, yeah, it's so-and-so. He was in this, that, and the other. I mean, it's, um, that's why I'm now enjoying watching Crown Court at the moment yeah. because I was trying, I try and recognise the actor without looking it up. Or waiting for the credits to roll. Um, so I mean, some of them are dead easy, like Ian Martyr, uh, Christopher Benjamin, 
um, huh. is in this particular story as well, who, who has been in Doctor Who multiple times. Hmm. So particulars, um, Henry Gordon Jago, for argument's sake. So, um, oh yeah, it's great. I, I love watching <laughs> I try and piece together where I've seen them before. And, and this this Doctor Who story is certainly one of them. It really is. Um, obviously, we haven't spoken about the, the two leads, John Pertwee and Katie Manning. I think Joe in this one, it comes to comes into her own. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, she's more of a character in this than, than the Doctor, isn't she, really? Yeah. Because there's one thing that Terence Diggs, Diggs, Diggs does um, with, a, with the characters. When they're in the, the, the Drashigs section of the, of the miniscope, when they're running away, she doesn't get stuck. No. And I'm glad he did, because that, that was a typical sort of damsel in distress thing for the for Pertwee's dots to come to the rescue, wasn't it? You must wonder whether, A, that was in the script, or whether that was just actually Pertwee wanted a bit of a hero moment. Hero moment, precisely. Because the other thing as well, um, in the book, he picks up a flare gun. Yeah, I mean, that, that to me was probably the major difference in actual action. Yeah. Yeah, because he uses that. In case, in case listeners, you wonder what we're coming to with this, he uses that instead of the sonic screwdriver to, to set fire to the marsh gas. Yeah, which actually made it a better more sense. Yeah, yeah, and it was actually yeah. You 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 probably get the feeling that he's looked at that and thought, I don't really like that. <laughs> How can I get round that? And comes up with obviously, if they're on the boat, there'd be a flare gun. Well, I like the fact and the that they got rid can of secretly. Yeah, pick I, it I up. like the. Yeah, because I like the fact that Terence it's got rid of the whole we hit the sort of screwdriver is your get out get out of jail free card. Yeah, he removed that. Um, and I yeah, suppose I mean, he, he actually little... he actually yeah they, he totally does from from the book, doesn't he? Because obviously it's Joe with the skeleton keys. Yeah, and the Doctor has to go and get a, a different a instrument different to open yeah. the the, yeah, the little uh, hexagon uh, hatches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's almost as it's almost well. I mean, I know that was quite a lot into the book as well, but you get the feeling then Terence Dix actually then takes the opportunity to say, actually, no, we're we're put the sonic screwdriver away completely for this series, mm. this story. And I think Which it is, works. I yeah. I prefer that. I I yeah. do prefer. It's one of the, as you say, it's one of the probably the major changes. Yeah. Um, between the book and the televised version, and it um, yeah, and it was I just a simple it. way of actually actually coming up with a more logical solution. Yeah, I mean, I know people could argue sort of like it's very convenient that he, the Doctor picked up a a flare gun, which is then, they then walk into another section which has got gas in it, which the Doctor then uses to, yeah, so it, it, you could say it's convenient, but it, it makes more sense to set use that to set fire to something than the sonic screwdriver. Yeah, and, and the fact that, yeah, it, it's, not, it's not as if it's a, a totally random thing to be found on a ship either. No, precisely. So... so yeah, so I do think it makes makes more sense. Um, actually, the, the other big difference as well um, is that the doctor, when Joe goes to find the doctor, she doesn't do it when you know when he gets back into the miniscope again. They don't find each other through the big hole in the wall that um, Andrews made when he when he tossed the the uh, dynamite. Yeah, the doctor comes up back up through one of those hexagonal hatches. Yeah. And Joe goes back down with him back into the um, into the circuitry, which is. Do you know what? That's one of the things that I I thought was really well done on the televised version was all the the, the internal circuitry. 
yeah. of the you, you get the feeling that whoever got whoever designed that actually really enjoyed that because they didn't have to make it move. No. So it was just really was creating shapes, yeah. really. Yeah, and I I like that. I, I think it was very well realised for it for its for its day. Obviously, there were you know probably the news for crawling through the same bits of set, but it never felt like that. No, to me, it, I, I I just really liked it. Yeah, I, I just I just wanted to say that actually. I, I, I thought it was some of the more um, I think it just added an extra dimension to the story. Because they weren't just yeah. going from one sort of section of the miniscope to another. They actually sort of come out of, broke out of those worlds or in, in, in the internal workings of, of the machine, which I, which I really, I just thought it added an extra layer yeah. to the plot and an extra peril. Because then you had the, like, the, obviously you've got the Drashics then breaking out of their environment and coming, chasing them through the internal workings of the, of the, of the miniscope as well. So, which then gives Kalicki's idea of, well, if I just loosen the inspection plate here. Yeah. Out they come, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, oh god, I, I just love it. I just really do love this story. I really do, and the book. I love the televised version. I love the book version. Yeah, I mean, it is in some ways an interesting saying about how the Drashics never, but they've never, tr- no one's ever tried to use a miniscope again to that extent. No, have they tried doing that on? Um, there was. Big now finish. I've said that there is one of the. Has Big Finish done it? It now rings a bell that we have actually had a one, but not really used, I think, as part of the main plot. Now, now, now I've really confused oh, myself. I've got so no that. idea. No idea. No, I honestly don't know. No, I don't know. I'm now, I'm now thinking, what's we call it? Um, big Finish, but... Yeah. Well, as everyone knows, we are so behind on Big Finish, I couldn't say that with any degree of certainty whatsoever. Yeah. Really couldn't. But uh, no, it's um, yeah. Do you know what? It's, it's one of my favourite Pertwee stories to come back to because I think it's so well written and so well acted. And to be honest, I don't often return to the Target novelisations once I've read them. No, but in this case, I'd quite happily pick this book up again and read it because I just think it was fun. It was it was a yeah. fun read. And yeah, I, I, no, I, yeah. I, I don't know whether, whether our original choice of the mutants would have. <laughs> It would have turned out that way. I don't know. It's a bit yeah. of a slog that. I always found that a bit of a slog that one. Yeah, the mutants. Yes, yeah, so I don't think I've got anything sort of left to say. Really, I think it's, I think we we both walked away enjoying this one. Um, yeah, and we we just sort of recommend the book to people if, if you haven't read it. I mean, it does make some doesn't change the plot overly, but it does make some some interesting and I think worthwhile changes. Yeah. Compared to the televised version, what change that makes sense? I think yes. apart from the apart from the the um, the uh, the change in 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 description of the Drashigs in the book, which is a little bit disappointing. Yeah, but there we go, there we go, folks. Um, nothing else to say, Paul. I think I'm done. No, I think I think that yeah sums that up. Yeah. Yes. Good. Good. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, well, we don't know what what we're going to be doing next. We should be back in February, hopefully, sometime in February. Probably late February now, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because this is now sort of like the last weekend in, in January, so I think we'll <laughs> we'll give it another month and we'll be back to towards the end of Feb. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll I'm trying to get some sort of special guests on the on the podcast. We've also got the um, YouTube stuff I put up um, as well. So hopefully, we'll sort of fill in the gaps before Paul and I um, are back together again at the end of February, um, which yeah. I assume will be a big finish story. Let's we let's we can think of something else. 
No, yeah. Yeah, I think sure we'll go with that. We'll go. Yeah. I'm quite sure it will be as well. But uh, so there we are. So until then, folks, it is goodbye from me, Phil, and goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. You can download this podcast from iTunes, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, and through your podcatcher of choice. If you would care to leave us some feedback on iTunes, that would be very much appreciated. You can also find us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast, on the Who's He Podcast Facebook group, and through our website, who's hyphen he hyphen podcast.co.uk.